Good morning. Good morning. If you wanted to, if we're going to start this, you could put the mic closer to your guitar and then pull it up to your... That's too deliberate. I'll, um, I'll hold up my, my guitar podcast rock rules. style. Sounds really... There are no rules in podcasting. There are. That's what we're talking about today. <laughs> So, the reason that we are recording these first episodes just between the two of us, one is to record the conversations we would be having anyway during our morning coffee, but also to archive, hopefully, getting better at this. So, these first recordings are awful, trying to work on our elo- my elocution, getting rid of the fillers, thinking about exactly what you want to say before you start saying it. And, and I realized how many picking. people who have podcasts are pretty bad at podca- podcasting or at least not excellent at it. This sounds sounds a little bit weird in my ears but um probably okay. the gains might be adjusted for i one turned thing. your gain way <clears throat> down good 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 i mean you know wh- whatever the correct levels are all four red lights are on good um Can just you remember you both of us really need to stay super close to the mic yep yeah like almost kissing it kissing it um and also it's just so interesting as I'm trying to get rid of my fillers that I really need them to breathe. So even before we hit the record button, I feel my breath seizing up on me, which we've talked about before. And um, I just did an um. It's just gonna, it's just going to well, the- off to a bang and start this morning. Get better with practice. I was going to say, but that's what uh, practiced speakers do. I mean, they know when to breathe. They know how to, you know, pace themselves and structure their phrases so that they don't run out of breath. And I guess part of it is if you're not as used to speaking, you're probably going to not be breathing when you should. So that's when you get to the end. And then, yeah. and then you run but out. I stop breathing before I even start to talk. So... I listen to Rogan pretty consistently. I tend to skip over the podcasts where he's Seth inter- Rogan in- interviewing his uh, MMA partners, heroes. I probably shouldn't because I think he gets so animated when he's talking to other comedians. I bet he gets even more animated when he's talking to fighters. Uh, I should listen to that. But I have been studying his style. Of course, he's got the number one podcast. He's been doing this forever. He's very good at podcasting for a number of reasons. One, he's a smart guy. He's an informed guy and he's a serious guy with great recall. So he's a great conversationalist. And that's what I want our podcast to be. I'm sort of, not sort of, I am basing it off of his style, which is conversation where it involves deep listening on my part, 
being able to pick up on cues of something that somebody maybe just threw threw away and returning to that and going deeper into a topic that's maybe caught my ear and letting it ramble and wander and explore as opposed to an interview. He's very good at that. And so that's step one is the style and the format. And step two, the main reason I started this podcast is because I couldn't find any female focused podcast that I enjoyed. Either the interviewer is too shrill or too t- trying too hard or the quality of the podcast isn't nice. The topics aren't interesting. I, I don't care about listening to celebrities talk about who they fucked or didn't or who's a bad kisser you know gossipy sort of things I want a real substantive substantive podcast that's interviewing amazing women spoiled for choice but just to talk about women whose voices I don't find irritating and I know that that sounds misogynistic and maybe it's just my ADHD but I do have a hard time finding women whose voices are not irritating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so a woman whose voice I think is fantastic is Bridget Fetisi. I discovered her when she was a guest on Rogan. She is a comedy writer and uh, pretty funny, easy to listen to. Has a, she, she unearthed a topic that's really sensitive to me that I don't want to talk about, but I'm going to talk about it in a minute. Anyway, she has her own podcast, and so I think she's great as a guest, and I don't think that she's very good as a host, and I picked up a lot of things that she does that I also do right now that I want to stop doing. And I think that a lot of women do this in normal conversation anyway. I was listening to an interview she did recently on her podcast. She was interviewing somebody that wrote a book that she found interesting. And there's just all of this hubris leading up to her question that she can get rid of. For example... She'll say, oh, I was just talking to my husband about this the other day and blah, blah, blah. Just cut that out. Nobody, it's not interesting or relevant that you were talking to your husband about something. Just say what's on your mind. Little things like that, but it happens constantly that I think would improve the quality of her podcast. So getting good at this, but this is an archive to hopefully show how we are getting better at this how I'm getting better at this because it, it's my podcast and you're my you're the guy on the couch basically I'll be the Ed McMahon that's yeah. great um, reference number one I like a drink uh, well I think that's one of the issues that we have in this era of um, uh, democratization of uh, content creation and distribution everything is essentially free to create <laughs> and to distribute um and it has led to, I think, a, a sort of lax attitude about uh, creating content. You know, feet of film um, it was expensive. You know, so you actually 
one of the reasons that you rehearse before you shoot is because film sucks fucking expensive. Um, but now, of course, you know, there's outtakes everywhere and uh, everything is uh, recorded. Um, <clears throat> and you do have that, you know, virtually, well, I can't say everyone, but uh, especially sort of second tier or lower, quote, celebrities often have podcasts and they all do each other's podcasts. Now, you know, presumably some people are going to be better as hosts and better as guests, but what ends up happening is everyone is a guest and a host and yeah, it often doesn't work that well. Um, I think one of the things that, uh, I don't really uh, know it that often, but I've certainly heard some of it. Um, and from what I understand, uh, Rogan's are not, uh, consistent lengths and that that's, you know, that's not unusual with podcasting. Um, so I think you do have a, a, a more organic and a, a genuine dialogue as opposed to, as you said, like an interview where, you know, whoever your guest is, it, in many cases, it's going to be like, oh, have to ask them about this. You know, I need to know blah, blah, blah. So of course you have the questions prepared ahead of time, but assuming that you don't know what the answer to those questions are, then, you know, the, the, uh, discussion might go in a different direction. I think you have to be reactive to that. And um, I guess like anything else that that's going to be a learned skill, you know, this. So if you are a better conversationalist or if you're more practiced, then yeah, you're probably going to be better as a podcast host. If you are just a self-absorbed, you know, nincompoop who doesn't have much to say, it's probably not going to be a very good show. And I've listened to a couple of those where the host of the podcast is often a guest on other people's podcast. And as a guest, they're great. As a host, it's exactly what you said. Are you are you just going to pontificate for an hour? Are you actually going to let your guest talk? Because it's the guest that I want to listen to. It's <laughs> astounding right. to me. Yeah. Regarding styles, the other big famous uh podcasts that I listen to are Lex Friedman, Ezra Klein, um, Stephen Bartlett, Diary of a CEO. Lex is somewhere in between interviewing and conversation. Ezra and Stephen Bartlett are, I would say, definitely more in the interview style. And you can, with, um, with Stephen Bartlett, his podcast is also recorded on video, so you can watch it too. And you can see he's come very well prepared and it shows and the other thing i like about him is he knows his his target audience is himself so it's definitely more gear the topics that he cares about are definitely geared more toward gen z type people because he's only 30 years old yeah questioning meaning <clears throat> in life questioning the value of work life life balance lots of focus on self-esteem and social media things that i'm not as concerned with but i i respect I respect that he's like picked his lane. And I also think it's interesting to know that this is a topic that people of his age, it's the center of their, of their life, of their self-actualization where it wasn't for us. So I'm working on it. We're developing, we're evolving. I'm working on improving. Just uh, loop back a little bit to something you said a moment ago. Uh, You know, you said um, I'm tuning in to hear the guest. Um, Now, 
of course, in many cases, and especially as hosts uh, become, you know, more famous, uh, it, it kind of shifts. It's like, well, you know, I'm watching the tonight show with Johnny Carson or whatever. I don't particularly care who's, on. I mean, I will care. And I know that some guests are better than others, but you know, if you have a kind of cult of personality around the host itself, that that should be sufficient too. Um, but yeah, I guess it, uh, really depends on how much cachet that particular host has. When did it happen? Probably around the early aughts when music videos were cut and edited so that every scene was transferring to another scene, maybe like every second and a half, every two seconds. And I'm looking at these videos thinking, I, I can't watch this. This is like a strobe light. I, I, yeah. That one video, that one scene was so interesting. Let me hang on that for a minute. Oh, it's another. Oh, it's another. Oh, it's another. And I think, and I think you agree. In fact, I, you're the one who pointed it out that sitcoms are written like that too. Set them up, joke, laugh, mm. set them up, joke, laugh. There's no space. There's no time to let it hang, let it breathe. And it didn't used to be that way. You and I have been watching some early Carson, early Letterman. Yep. When I, I the last, I think we, we started this conversation talking about uh, when Steve Martin's, one of his early uh, uh, appearances on Carson. And he this did was this the dog bit. bit. Yeah, the dog yeah. bit. He yeah. did this bit yeah. where his audience was dogs. And the audience wasn't laughing hysterically, but they were entertained. And and he was being corny and he was doing like these silly fake non magic tricks and non card tricks and everyone knew what was coming next. But it was just entertaining and amusing yeah. and I think inclusive to just let him sit there and just be Steve Martin for a minute. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely uh, some of that archival footage is, is very interesting. How much, and you know, you hear about like famous performances or something and you you want to go see it. it's like well, okay well what happened you know did yeah, obviously everybody talks about like you know the Beatles on Ed Sullivan or whatever it's like that's that's going to change the world I don't know how good that actual performance is uh but you know whatever it is it's often something else in people's mind even those who didn't particularly experience it but when you go back and see it's like okay well what how did this stuff actually unfold yeah it, it's often it's almost bordering on uncomfortable given the pace uh, and the style that we have now. And just the idea that, well, we need to demonstrate the entertainment value at every moment. So, um, you know, hit the buzzer on Fallon's chair so he guffaws uh, inappropriately because otherwise, you know, the audience doesn't know whether it's supposed to be funny or not. Have this contrived bit that's pre-written pretend uh, that it's improvisational uh, and you know, then uh, that'll work uh, for the audience. So, and, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think also nobody's watching these shows. Everybody's watching their favorite clips on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Nobody listens to an album all the way through anymore. And I think that obviously they know that. And I think these shows are written for that now, as opposed to Letterman or Carson. Yep. When you're in bed watching these shows at the end of the night, when you're about to fall asleep, so nice. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, and th- those were ways of living. And I guess it's just in a two or three screen world. It's, it's probably never going to happen again. Um, or at cool least anymore. Yeah. Well, y- you have it's less likely that uh, any single event is going to make much of an impact because people aren't even experiencing it <clears throat> at the same time for the most part. You know, I mean, certainly in the area of on demand. Um, yeah, the, there's no more water cooler uh, conversation. Um, but uh, there's another thing you mentioned there. Um, oh, well, no, it's no big. We, we, we've mined this. Yeah. We'll so on, we did mind it, mine it. But it's okay. Just Rogan one, goes back to the topics he cares about all the time. Well, I was just going to, one other point. So you talked about like the uh, editing and, uh, you know, videos or something. I think that. You know, broadly speaking, um, MTV style editing, even back in the day, you know, tended to be uh, a bit more exciting. You know, you're not going to get the um, Hitchcock rope style uh, editing there. Uh, So it's going to be jumpy. But nowadays, I I wonder in particular whether some of that is actually with younger directors who have always grown up in a kind of Ritalin world or whatever, maybe, you know, the director's attention span isn't even, it's like, I'm not cutting quickly in order to make sure that other people are excited. I'm cutting quickly because I can't focus on anything for more than half a second. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I have been weaned on, you know, very fast cutting. uh, So I can follow what's going on. Um, I, I can, as a 53-year-old man, I, I can't follow most action sequences uh, in all of those horrible movies that are made nowadays. Um, it's, yeah, it's just all too fast for me. But that's fine. They're not made for me. you know. So. I wish that staring was socially acceptable <laughs> because there are some people that are so interesting to look at I just, I'm like, please just let me look at you. Mm. Let me just stare at you. But you can't, you can't do it. That's why you have all those, you know, whatever, uh, your famous um, portrait photographers, that kind of stuff. They often have those great exhibits. You know, it's like, all right, now I get to just stare at that person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether it's whatever, a Dust Bowl farmer or Mick Jagger or something, I, I just get to stare at him. It's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. I just wish, and this is an, um, an ADHD thing, but I wish I could just telepathically let people know I'm, I'm not gawking at you. I'm, I'm inventory, inventorying <laughs> everything about you. Uh, I'm listening to you, but I'm also looking at your hair. I'm looking at your tattoos. I'm looking at the buttons on your shirt. I might be counting the buttons on your shirt. I'm regi- If you're wearing a plaid shirt, I'm registering the colors and the pattern of the plaid. Just let me get through all that and then just know what I'm doing. I wish I could say that to people. And someday at the, on the podcast, I'll tell my Robbie Williams story. Um <laughs> When that's exactly what I was doing, and uh, I made him poor guy very uncomfortable. I'm sure he's quite used to being stared at. Mm, poor guy, L- less so now. I'm so happy someday. for Robbie. I'm so happy for him. But that's a that's a story for another time. Anyway, back to Bridget. She was on Rogan. Rogan's made it very clear 
that he think he's not a fan of Pete Buttigieg. He's actually called him a fool. Okay. Come on, Rogan. He's definitely not a fool. Give me a break. He's well, a genius. Okay, but that that word doesn't necessarily. He thinks mean... Pete Buttigieg is. I would think he would say Pete Buttigieg is an idiot. Doesn't know what he's doing. He might be a political incompetent. But I mean, he has certainly proven himself to be not especially adept. Rogan also hypothesizes or supposes that you get really well-intentioned, brilliant people into government. I'm paraphrasing what he said. And then they get sat down by people that have all the power who you'll never see. And they go, oh. okay, Pete, this is how it really works. And so when a disaster happens and it's going to happen, going to happen, whether it's the airlines or the train exploding in Southeast Ohio, you're going to get in line and this is how we're reacting to it. Yep. Uh, so Pete came up again in his interview or his discussion with Bridget, who I think is a new mom. And she brought up the topic of surrogacy and she referred to Pete and Chaston. Mm-hmm. So the circumstances of how they adopted their children, they have kept private. So it's unknown to the public if they were waiting to adopt babies and these twins became available for adoption and they adopted them. I mean, the babies are clearly not containing any, well, you can't say clearly, but um, they're beautiful little brown babies. So whether or not they hold any DNA from Peter Chaston, it's unknown, but um, their mother is yeah. a beautiful brown woman. I, I don't know what the nature of um, gene But uh, her, her is thing, nowadays. having been a new mom, she said, what about the mom? Yeah. What about the mom? And that is something that I have always thought in the back of my mind too. We know people happen to be, doesn't have to be, happen to be a gay male couple, beautiful couple, and their children were surrogates where, and I, again, I'm unclear if there's any shared DNA there, but the, but the mother was paid to host as a host for this baby. And, you know, Womb it's rental. like, well, the egg comes from India, but the baby, the host mother who you know incubates the baby is from Romania or whatever and I'm like man that feels like a lot of exploitation of really desperate women so that you can have your own DNA in your children it really really makes me uncomfortable in the same way that hair extent natural hair extensions make me uncomfortable do women who wear hair natural hair extensions have any idea what the women who grow their hair out, what their lives are like, that they sell their hair. I mean, it could it be any more Les Miserables. Um, I have no idea what the, the industry there is. So, uh, or for that matter, you know, how it pays versus uh, renting your womb out. But, you know, obviously uh, I would say that growing your hair long and then, you know, cutting it every six months or so or whatever six years uh that's probably somewhat less of a commitment than uh renting out your womb so i i hope one pays better than the other 
um yeah you know this this stuff is you know this is the the, the world hair we thing isn't in. as bad as as like i i've had a child growing inside of me for nine months yep. my breasts are filled with milk my hormones are you know absolutely maxing tweaking out you give birth to a child and then it it goes to someone else what about the mom that's a question that needs to be explored oh i don't like it i don't like it and it's fine if the mother is you know choosing to give her own child up for adoption i i I am uncomfortable with it when i I do feel it's exploitative when the intention is that i want some of my dna in this child so So you're gonna be like the host vessel from my dna this is essentially uh bespoke versus off the shelf or Mm -hmm. off the rack yeah 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 i mean um Look, there is, for me at least, uh, there's certainly a libertarian streak in me, which basically says, you know, consenting um, adults, you know, being whatever, uh, uh, in control of their own uh, bodies. They're free to, you know, enter into contracts uh, as they see fit. So whether you want to, you know, rent your vagina out so somebody can ejaculate in it or whether you want to um carry a child to term uh yeah you know maybe that's nobody's business but the more holistic analysis has to say i think um we're not really talking about you know a bargain for exchange of goods and services uh with people who are, you know, really dealing, uh, with the same degree of freedom and autonomy. Um, I do think by and large prostitution is exploitative. The, the practical reality is that it does lead to trafficking, uh, when, you know, behaviors are, sanctioned by the state insofar as they are not illegal uh that will create markets for them and whether it's marijuana use or prostitution or you know surrogacy there are social consequences and costs to societies engaging in these activities i i do believe um i think it's very unrealistic to say you know whose business is it we may all die a little bit when we allow people to do that with, with their bodies, even though they think that they're freely, you know, entering uh, into a, you know, a, an agreed upon contract. I think it's a bit more complicated than that. It's very simple. Women experience sex differently than men. We experience it emotionally. We experience it hormonally. Let's just be practical. I grew up with choices. I grew up with privilege. So did everyone I've ever met. Not a single one of us chose to be a prostitute over any other career choice. Right. End of story. So. I think that is rather compelling evidence. I don't think that, you know, most prostitutes um, and most female prostitutes uh, are just, you know, nymphomaniacs. I, I don't really think that that's the case. I don't think I'm going out on a limb here. Um, Uh, what about the mom? You know, I just realized as we were talking about this, 
even before I heard her ask that question on the Rogan interview, I also asked that question. What about the mom? What about the mama dog? With our dog Poppy. P-O-P-P-Y. My little African wildflower. When she showed up at the Gambian Horse and Donkey Trust, pregnant and scared, and everyone's fawning over the puppies, and I asked, what about the mama dog? I fell in love with her. Yep. This poor little street dog that never, probably never lived in a house, was pregnant constantly. Yep. And uh, so we brought mama dog home. I think she may have had a few litters. Yeah. yeah. I think that's Poppy's that accoutrement. Her little nips never really bounced back, but that's okay. It's rough. That's all right. All right. Um, yep. Got to go to the dentist. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Blah, blah, blah. And we're out. <laughs>